Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. You pour it out. Even when we don't deserve it, yet you graciously give us your love, your mercy, your forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can call you Father and that you're a good Father. Some of us may not have good earthly fathers, but we rejoice that we have a good Heavenly Father. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I encourage you to greet those around you before you have a seat. Welcome to everybody who is here with us here tonight. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well. A few announcements as we get our uh, worship service going tonight. Uh, we have yellow sheets. So um, we've had them in the past, but it's been uh, since we haven't been doing bulletins. We haven't talked about these in a while, but... These are out at the welcome desk. If anyone is new or visiting with us, we'd love to get your information. And if you are a regular or, or, or new and you have a prayer request or something you want to share, you can do that on there. We still have uh, the avenue online where you can submit prayer requests as well. Uh, these yellow sheets are at the welcome desk. You can fill it out and just leave it there or you can drop it in the, the offering uh, box as well. We have our Heaven Bible study that's hopefully starting next Sunday during second service. So you can sign up for that at the welcome desk. Again, that's on April 25th, answering questions about heaven. Um, and then membership class sign-up is also at the welcome desk. So if you're interested, if, you, if you're not a member yet and you're interested in exploring what that might look like or what that involves, just learning more about the church, I invite you to come May 2nd, uh, right after second service on that Sunday for that. Uh, we also have Kids Summer Sunday School. So a decision was just recently made to do that for the months of June and July. Uh, so we will have Kids Sunday School for ages 2 through 5th grade, I believe, and that will be starting June 6th, running through the end of July, um, which we haven't always done that, but uh, Pastor Aaron's super excited to love on the kids and keep getting them into God's Word together, so that will be available uh, during the second service throughout those two months. Um, there is a sign-up online for helping out if you want to volunteer uh, for a week or something to help out during summer Sunday school. Go to maranathafree.com and click on the... No? It's not up yet, but... Talk to Pastor Aaron, I guess. Talk to Pastor Aaron if you'd like to help out and get signed up for, for helping with Summer Sunday School. And then the last announcement is our celebration. So every month we've been highlighting one of the items on the Faith Path, one of the steps on the Faith Path kit. And uh, we've covered uh, parent dedication. That was January. In February we looked at the Blessing Kit. And then in March, family time. And we are on to uh, the Prepare to Lead Your Child to Christ. And with this kit... Uh, it talks about how at different stages kids are ready to make that decision to surrender to the lordship of Christ in their lives, to receive him as Lord and Savior. And, and, uh, but we want to be prepared as parents for whenever that time may come and for our own kids. And so this kit is, is to come alongside families, help them prepare to think about what, is it, what, is it, what do I need to do, how can I articulate the gospel to my kids at different ages, different stages, different personalities, and thinking through that. So again, on our website, we have uh, resources there for the faith path. You can watch, there's like a 20-minute video where they kind of go into more detail about it. And uh, then this is a sample of the kit um, that is out by the resource center. So it's a little bundle. It's meant to be taken together. Uh, so don't just snag one item from them. That They're wrapped up here together. So if you are interested in grabbing one of these, um, just grab a kit. It has a couple different books that help guide you through thinking through how to share the gospel with your child and to lead them to Christ. And uh, Pastor Aaron interviewed a, a family, and we have a little video. It's kind of a weird family. You might recognize them, but... Uh, 
Take a look at this video, and then Pastor Cody's going to come and share from James. Hi, Maranatha. I'm here with Pastor Tony and Michelle Nord uh, to talk about the Preparing to Lead Your Child to Christ kit. Tony and Michelle, how do you communicate the gospel clearly to your kids, even though they're different ages and each have unique personalities? As we've thought about this uh, question a little bit, the gospel obviously means good news. I think most people know that the gospel means good news. And sometimes in the church we think that the gospel is something that we share with, with kids or others to help them become a Christian, and then we're kind of done with the gospel. Something that's really influenced us and helped us as we've thought through this question is that the gospel is not only something we need to begin our life with Christ, it's something that we need throughout our life with Christ to grow in our walk with Him. So that's something we keep in mind with our kids is that they need to hear the gospel regularly as they're um, understanding and growing in their in their knowledge of who God is and the salvation storyline. And so we're constantly trying to incorporate that into our into our lives and sharing the gospel with them in different moments. We want to live that out. So we seek to live that out in our relationship as as husband and wife, which involves saying I'm sorry and confessing our sins, acknowledging our own sinfulness, our own need for a savior. And, and our dependence on God's grace and mercy. So I have a story about one of our children. Several of my kids were disobeying me, and I had called them out on it. And afterwards, one of my children said, I'm a terrible person. And because that child tends to struggle with insecurities, I immediately brushed it off and said, no, no, you're not a terrible person. And then later on, I was thinking about it, and I thought, but actually... They are a terrible person. That's why we need Jesus is because we're terrible people. We're sinners. And so when I was tucking this child in bed that night, um, I, I brought up that situation and I reminded them of what happened. And I, I said, you said that you're a terrible person. And I said, you're right. You are a terrible person, just like I'm a terrible person. But the good news is that Jesus died for terrible people like you and me. And, and even though we are terrible and we sin, because God loves us and he sent his son to die for our sins, when we put our faith in Christ and we trust him as our Lord and Savior, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our terrible sinfulness anymore. He sees Jesus' perfection. That's what it means to be covered by, by Christ's blood. And, and so I was able to use that as a moment to, to share the gospel again with this child. And um, we prayed together and it was just one more, one more way where we can just throughout our daily life um, as things come up where we can point out, yes, we're sinners. We were sinners who need Jesus. And there's good news for sinners like us. We've uh, been reminded of how important it is to, um, to understand developmentally that children uh, tend to be concrete thinkers. So speaking about uh, the gospel or the story of the Bible in abstract terms, even in, in using a phrase like asking Jesus into your heart, that can actually be more confusing uh, sometimes for kids. And so we, we try to focus, avoid certain phrases that Christians might tend to use um, commonly and instead, uh, you know, focus on the biblical language that is given, even if they don't fully understand it right away. We do take into account their personality and that affects and influences the way that we we will talk with them about the gospel. And so one, one child struggles more with um, wanting to be God in, in, in their own life. And so um, I, we focus a lot on, on Romans 8. And, and we, as, a, as a family, we've worked on memorizing Romans 8. 
And so then it gives me opportunity to remind them, remember we talked about that? Are you living according to the spirit or are you living according to the flesh? Like who, what, what lead, what happens when you live according to the flesh? What does that lead to? And then my child says death because that's what we learn in Romans 8 that leads to death. And so we can use those as moments to, to remind them who, who's, who's God in your life right now? Is it you or is it Jesus? And then another child struggles more with insecurity. And so um, I, I will f- emphasize more their identity. What is their identity? If they're a follower of Jesus, their identity is that they're a child of God. And, and their identity doesn't change based on what they do. They can't change that about themselves. Um, God created them in his image, and that's something that is apart from them. And so that, that never, never changes. And if they find their identity rooted in that, um, then they won't struggle with it, that um, insecurity as much. And um, just to finish up here, we have a couple books that we would recommend. Um, this is the Gospel Fluency book by Jeff Vanderstelt, and this is great for helping to equip you and how to speak the gospel regularly to yourselves, to one another, to your children. And and then this book here, Show Them Jesus by Jack Klumpenhauer, is an excellent resource for parents and um, teaching the gospel to your kids. And he's got some really practical insights on how to help kids of a whole variety of ages. And, and then one other um, resource that we don't have with us, but the Wingfeather Saga books by Andrew Peterson. Um, he weaves the gospel into his story so beautifully, and it has given us opportunities to remind our kids, remember when this character did that thing, remember? And then we can talk about the spiritual theme that that brings up. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yep, you're welcome. Yeah, it's some great stuff. I encourage you parents, grandparents, those who are with children or teens, Adolescents, I encourage you to talk to Pastor Aaron and Pastor Tony as we have a lot of resources for you to help you think through just a lot that was shared there. So that's some beautiful stuff. Well, again, the weekend after our Easter celebration, and ever since I've been here, I like to really focus on kind of this question. Now what? What do we do? Christ has come. He's died for us. He's He's risen from the grave, and we have life in Him. We have forgiveness of sins. Now what? Or this, how does the Gospel apply to our lives daily? How do we live out the Gospel? Many Christians today want the resurrected fullness of life, and that's all they want. And they forget about the cross part, about dying to self daily. We want revival But rarely do we want true repentance. Many Christians want prominence and prosperity where few want holiness. In the struggle of their sin and their life. And we are to war against these fleeting pleasures of sin with the pleasure and treasure of Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on this evening. The treasures of God are intended to eclipse the fleeting pleasures of sin. And we must know the real character of God. His heart for us in this. Or as one of my favorite authors, John Owen, a Puritan, many, many years ago said this, Fill your affections with the cross of Christ that there may be no room for sin. We must 
fill our mind and our hearts with the treasure and the beauty of Christ so there's no room for sin. I love that. And this is the, one of the most liberating concepts that we can find in Scripture. So today we're going to look at this battle between religion and the Gospel, and then that will just segue right into our passage in James as we study James. We're going to look at chair. We've got two chairs here. Chair and treasure. And then we're going to look, as we look in James, character and temptation. So let's begin with prayer before we get into this study tonight. Father, we come before You and we are so grateful for the Easter celebration that we live every day. In You we have new life. But there's more than just forgiveness of sins. There's more than just this great salvation that we found in You, Lord, that You've given. There's also this kingdom rule that must permeate through our lives as we declare the Gospel, as we fight against sin. And Lord, we pray that Your kingdom rule would take over all the areas of our lives, including the areas that we've excluded from You. Lord, because You truly are our treasure and joy. Alright, so how do we live in the Gospel? Again, this is something I want to talk about again as we finish celebrating the beauty of Christ. He's come, died, He's risen, and He's coming again. That's what we did for the last three weeks. But we want to look at the beauty of the Gospel. Easter has come, and when Christ has come into our lives and has changed our lives dramatically, when we are now not, no longer dead but living in Him, there must be some kind of difference. But the problem for us is we can end up living two different lives. We're mainly stuck in one life. For instance, we could be sitting and living our lives in this area. A life of religion. A life of works. And a life under the law. And we can kind of just try to pursue life in that area. And we can be stuck there for quite some time. Whereas, I believe, we are called in the Gospel, to live truly in the Gospel. Truly in grace. And truly in the beauty of the cross. And these are in great contrast. These are contradictions to each other in many ways in our lives. For instance, if you want to live in chair one, and again, people... It's, it's just unfortunate this way, but we saw this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. We see this today. People think, oh, just going to church, being religious, doing a bunch of good things and living by the law, that's how we should be. And this is a performance-based Gospel, which is a false Gospel. Okay, A performance-based Gospel is a false Gospel motivated by guilt. Like out of Isaiah 29, verse 13. Lips close to God and hearts far away from Him. Because people can try to act all nice and sweet and religious and, and, and do great things and their lips are close to God but their hearts far away from Him. Religion produces a burden. I have to do this. There's a duty that you must perform before God. 
And this is a performance-based gospel leading to toil and burdens and weariness. And this will destroy you because it's not the gospel message. And if you sit in this chair for a while, you'll be burdened. When the true gospel is forgotten, we end up in chair one. You hear that? When the true gospel is forgotten, we end up here in chair one. But chair two understands the beauty of true salvation. And it understands the right motivation of obedience in doing things for the Lord. Again, it's out of the gospel, it's grace, it's the beauty of the cross. The gospel produces a response of devotion, not duty. Here, I gotta do it. Here, it's devotion. Here, it's delight. And here, it's doxology, which is worship. Here again, it's duty. I must do it. Here, it's delight, devotion, doxology. Or, as we will hear more, we treasure God. And when we treasure God, we treasure His will and do that out of the right motivation. So I'm going to break this down a little bit more here and unpack this. And here's the mindset and motivation of each of these chairs. So we're going to have a list of things coming up here as we talk about this kind of mindset compared to this mindset. Chair one. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And here's the mindset. I will do things, I will obey, I'll be religious and do works, and therefore then I'll be accepted by God. That will destroy you. You'll be so tired. Whereas in this chair, the Gospel chair, it's different. I'm already accepted by God, right? I'm accepted by Him through His Son. I'm accepted by God. Therefore, I will obey. See the difference there? Or this. Obey, and then you'll be the people of God. Do a bunch of things, and then God will accept you, and then you're the people of God. That's so religious and dangerous. Whereas this chair is, you are the people of God, then you obey Him out of love. And there's that motivation. Think of it this way. Remember the Old Testament. Exodus 14, chapters 12 and 14, 12, 13, and 14. That little section is the Old Testament Gospel message. God saved them, remember, by the blood of the Lamb. They walked on dry ground. It was wonderful. He saved them. That's chapter 14. Then comes chapter 19. I will be your God. You will be my people. Then, 20. Because you're my people, here's the Ten Commandments. Because we're chosen and accepted by Him, then we obey. You're the people of God. Obey Him. Or here's, man, this is a false hope here. These things we do save and secure us. Which we will fail all the time. And you'll be so tired. Whereas the things we do show that we're saved. It's the fruit in our lives that comes from our heart and lives. Obedience to Christ. Performance. So, chair one is an offense to Christ. 
That's performance-based. Where an offering to Christ is love-based. I do these things just so you love me more. That's an offense to Christ. That's almost saying the cross wasn't good enough, therefore I'll do something. Whereas this here, an offering to Christ my whole life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is tradition. Follow the rules. Whereas this is transformation. Becoming more and more like Christ. One is controlled by religious establishments. The other one is characterized by love. Chair one, religion works in the law. You gotta get specific knowledge and then it'll be better for you. Whereas our pursuit is spiritual maturity. And that's again, we're looking at in James. Spiritual maturity. The goal is to be more and more like Christ. One, stay out of trouble. Two, seek righteousness. Isn't that liberating? Seek righteousness. Chair one. This is, this is one that's very, I believe, dangerous for American Christianity. People keep trying to get a God fix. Let me just get that quick moment, this quick God fix. I'll go, you know, go to this conference that's all just gets me pumped up and I get my God fix compared to treasuring God every moment. And there's liberation there. One is legalism, the other is love. One, a change of outward alone. And this is behavior modification. Just change the outward alone. Whereas the other one, the Gospel, change of the inward to an outward. My attitude, the right attitude, and we were talking about that in James, then helps change my actions. Change of heart first, then behavior. Not just behavior modification. Chair one. Religion pours on stuff, things you have to do. And they have a nice set of rules that you've got to follow all the time. In the end, we can never do enough. You may claim a love for God, but if you live in a legalistic religious chair, your self-righteousness, that will lead you to a false Gospel. And in the end, you're relying on yourself not the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You must sit in the right chair, which brings liberating freedom and joy to the heart. If you're in this chair, here's the release. Here's the freedom that you can get. Our acceptance is not based upon our performance. Have I done enough? Instead, it's based upon Christ's performance. He has done enough. God's acceptance is given to us by what Christ has earned for us, not what we have earned. We must sit in this chair. The beauty of the Gospel daily. The beauty of God's grace thinking of the cross often.
not just getting busy for God, which leads to burdens and guilt because we cannot do it all. It's getting back to the gospel and having a true heart change which produces a real love for God as we treasure Him. The gospel of salvation and treasuring God. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to first or 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This passage here is wonderful. Talks about the beauty of what God has done to reveal Himself, and then even more the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the new covenant. And there's a veil on those who don't see the beauty of Christ, but when that veil is removed, there's freedom. And I love this verse. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Again, the veil's been removed and we now see and behold the beauty of the Lord. We treasure Him. Our, look at this. Our being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The more and more we fix our eyes on Christ, we treasure Him, we behold Him, the more and more we are being transformed. And I love that. The more we are shaped by the Gospel, we are freed from performance. Isn't that great? The more we see the beauty of the grace, beauty of the Gospel, we're freed from being stuck in this chair here. And it frees us to a liberty of changed lives. Joyful obedience. Not just, I have to obey. No, it's joyful because we love Him. That's why we do it. Passionate love for God. Spiritual growth and all glory to God which comes from our gratitude of the cross and the great salvation we have in Him. That's what life after Easter is all about. Listen to this, Romans chapter 1, verse 6. Through Him we receive grace, and this is Paul speaking, and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Here, it's obedience to get faith and acceptance. Where here he says, obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. Romans chapter 1 6. I love it. Obedience is the natural result and the response of faith and relationship with Jesus. And true faith always produces obedience to Christ. Obedience comes, becomes the natural expression of our love for Him when we treasure Him. So I encourage you. Beware of these words here in your life. Never sit in this chair after Easter. Instead, behold the beauty of Christ. Treasure Him. So here's the question. How do we move from religion to the Gospel? Let me give you four quick answers. One, soak 
in the truths of the Gospel. You just saw the video of Pastor Tony and Michelle. And they talked about when things happen, we remind our kids of the Gospel often. And they use what chapter? Romans what? 8. No surprise. Because the beauty of the beginning, they were talking about verses 4, 5, and 6. So wonderful. Soak your mind in the beauty of the Gospel. Grace motivates us from acceptance, not to be accepted. So soak in the truths of the Gospel. Again, as I always say, keep your fingers in the Word, eyes on Christ, our prize. Number two, preach the Gospel to yourself. When our love of God is genuine, this aspect here, the Gospel, grace, and the cross, that drives us to be more wanting to do what God wants. We are changed not by being told what to do for God, but by hearing the good news of what God has done for us. Look what God has done. You cannot do it. Thus, offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Preach the Gospel often to yourself. Number three, make all my ambitions, all of them, are to be God-glorifying. The Gospel is the driving force behind every aspect of my life. All I want to do is glorify Him. And living a life that's pleasing Him, loving others, caring for the poor, doing all these things that brings glory to Him. Fighting sin brings glory to Him. All my ambitions are to be God-glorifying. And the fourth one, how would you move from religion to the Gospel? Again, behold the beauty of your God. That 2 Corinthians 3.18 passage. We are to have an intimate loving encounters with Jesus daily, frequently, beholding the beauty of Him. My desire for God is greater than my desire for anything else. All other things. Good, as important as they are, I'm to treasure God above all things. And a great way to do that is to know His character. Know His character. So this leads us to our passage in James. So take your Bibles and let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to talk here about we must know the character of God. James chapter 1, we've been talking, primarily we've been looking a lot at verses 2 through 12. And he's talking about the trials that come our way and the spiritual maturity that we need. Now he moves from these testing and these trials to now temptation. And maybe in some of your Bibles, the editors have maybe put a new paragraph here where we got, they may even have a header here where it talks about temptations. So I wrote this down here. Every trial and test brings with it a possibility for temptation and the inner attraction to sin. So he's been talking about trials and struggles and, and this testing and all that. Now he's going to talk about now with that, there's a possibility for us to have this great temptation 
and the inner attraction that we have to fall into sin. This new section here. These are, there's a close relationship between trials and temptation. Thus, verse 13 here deals with the question, where does it come from? Where does you know, sin and all this stuff that we fall into, where does it come from? Well, verse 13, we're going to find out it does not come from God. But where? And next week we'll look at verses 14 and 15. As we will see this week, this enticement that we have, this ability to fall into sin, does not come from God. And next week we'll see it comes from our own inner desires. So let's take a look at verse 13. James chapter 1, 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. James 1, 13. Again, James, we'll see this often, James kind of uses word plays, he kind of connects one word to another word, and you will see that there's this connection here of words, and we see this here. James uses the same word to mean temptation while still within the topic of spiritual maturity. So here, i got this on the screen, the Greek word. The Greek word here, perasmos, can either mean trial or test, or it can mean temptation based upon the context. Again, so he's going to use this word that we've seen before already in verse 2 there. He, it depends on how it's used. Sometimes the word can be translated trials. Those things that are outside of us within God's providential control. There's trials. We spend a lot of time talking about the struggles that we have and all this stuff, the broken relationships, financial trial, um, sickness, all this stuff. God is sovereign in all those things. Matthew chapter 4, Luke 22, James 1, verse 2. And so this word isn't always a negative word. It can be, in a sense, a positive word as seen in Matthew chapter 4. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be, and here's this word, tested. To be tested. But it also can be translated temptation within us and we'll see this here first corinthians 10 later thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 second peter 2 9 sometimes and again sometimes translations make this kind of difficult for us to sometimes understand let me use the king james for an example listen as king james genesis 22 verse 1 god did tempt abraham so they took this word that in the Old Testament is the same word that, that's used here in the, in the Septuagint. They, they took this word and they say, God did tempt Abraham. But then, in the New King James, they, they're like, okay, that's probably not the best word to use here based upon the whole of Scripture. The New King James Version says this, that God tested Abraham. Here, God tested Abraham's faith. He didn't tempt him, even though this word could be translated tempt, it's important to see it in the context. And this can also be a little bit confusing with this famous, famous verse. Here's one. So Matthew chapter 6. In fact, get your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Here's the Lord's Prayer. The famous 
Lord's Prayer. And many people have this memorized. It's a great passage to memorize. Here's one that partially based upon just the standard of the King James Version that we have. We translate, we, we want it to sound the same. This can be a little bit confusing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. Wait a second. So lead us not into temptation. That, that's a little confusing because it says here, James chapter 1, 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted nor can tempt me. What? What? This is confusing. For some people, this sounds like God is the agent of temptation, which would be dangerous to do. Because God is not that. Which cannot be since James 1.13 and the rest of Scripture said that's not how God works. That's not His character to do that. So lead us in, you know, do not lead us not into temptation. That, that can be very confusing. So to help you think through this, when I wrote this out here, it is not that God leads them into temptation to sin, but rather the disciples are to pray that they don't yield to temptation. Help us not fail the test. Save us from and in the time of trials and temptation. So God, when trials come, may we not fall into temptation and lead us to sin. Don't bring us to the temptation that we cannot bear. Again, right here, we're going to turn to, so go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a famous verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. So here's this word here. In fact, even in some of your, your Bibles, they may even have a little footnote saying temptation can be translated. Trial. Like even in mine says the Greek for temptation and tempting can also be mean testing and tested. It says this, no temptation has overcome you except that, except that which is common to man. And, what does he do here? In our struggles, in our trials, in the temptations that are around us, he takes their heads and turns it to the character of God. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will bring testing. God will bring trials. We've already talked about that. And when faith is tested, it is also strengthened. And the way to endure it is to turn to the character of God. God is what? Faithful. So in the trials we face, these real trials could cause us to take revenge. We remember the four different areas of, of struggles that we could have. I talked about general tr um, troubles. I talked about financial stuff. I said broken relationships. In a broken relationship, you can be so hurt and that can turn you to turn into revenge. Very dangerous. Don't do that. These trials can cause you these struggles can cause you to then act out in sin. Or covet. Let's say you've got financial difficulties. You can be driving around in your beat-up car and it breaks down and someone who just you know that just hates the Lord drives by in a nice fancy car and you're like, oh! You can covet. 
Or you can begin to hate and get bitter in your heart. Anger. These trials could lead you to sin. Temptation. The tests come into our lives to help us grow to spiritual maturity. And when we fail, then we give many excuses. When we fail and fall into sin. At times, we tend to find someone to blame. Again, let's look at James chapter 1, 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Here's this mindset. Oh man, I fail. Oh God, you, you, you're not helping me. At times, we want to find someone to blame. The blame game. And we shift blame to another. It's not my fault. I've got children. I hear that all the time. It's not my fault. Or, he made me do it. She made me do it. I could not help it. No one's perfect. There's an excuse. No one's perfect. So yeah, I falter once in a while. You know, no one's perfect. We all have our struggles. Everyone's doing it. That's a dangerous one. Or, here's one. The devil made me do it. Oh, really? Here, James and Chapter 1, verse 13, we'll see 14 and 15, what really we can put blame to here next week. Or the worst excuse, James would say, is never blame God. Never blame God. In fact, the classic example, listen to Adam, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. He blames God. The woman you gave me. Oh! He puts the blame on God. The woman you gave to be with me. Oh, there's the blame. We must accept our responsibility and turn to God for forgiveness. When you fall into sin, when there's struggles and you give into temptation, don't blame God. Don't come up with a variety of excuses. Instead, we must turn to God, accept our own responsibility, and ask for forgiveness. Here's something very important. What if the trial isn't the main issue? What if general trials, what if financial difficulties, what if broken relationships, what if sickness and cancer isn't the real issue, the most important issue? What if the great issue and great danger is not the wrong that's happening to me. Because you can sit in a broken relationship. You can sit in, in, in a, through a divorce and just go, woe is me, look at all that's happening to me. Listen to this. What if the great issue and great danger is not the wrong that's happening to me, but the wrong that could be done by me? Don't shift the blame to something else. Confess your sin. Seek God for forgiveness. The worst thing that I could blame God or that I may be tempted to fall into sin, fall into anger and bitterness and resentment and look out of control. Let's look again here at the last part. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone god's character is pure holy righteous and it would be wrong 
for him. And it's beyond the idea. It would be crazy for us to think that he would tempt us to sin. Because he wants us to be mature, whole, and complete. He wouldn't lead us into temptation. God will always bring a test for our good, and he will never tempt for evil. So if you're going through a hardship, if you're going through struggles, know that God is good. He's faithful. Turn to his character. Treasure that. And know that this test, this struggle, is for your good. He will never tempt for evil. For God to tempt anyone to sin would be in total contrary to his character, for he is holy and the source of good and not evil. So never take your fist and turn to God and try to cast blame on him. For God to do this, again, would be contrary to his nature, for God does not put obstacles in our way so that we may fall and fail and go into sin. He's not like that. He's a good Father. He cannot be tempted or do evil. He does not test us with an evil intent to lead us into sin. He's not a horrible Father. He's the perfect Father. A good Father. God may test to strengthen us but never tempt to entice us to sin. God may test to strengthen us, but never entice us to sin. One of my dear friends, Doug Moo, writes this, Financial difficulty can tempt us to question God's providence in our lives. The death of a loved one can tempt us to question God's love for us. The suffering of the righteous and the poor And the ease of the wicked can tempt us to question God's justice or even His existence. Don't do that. Instead, turn to the character of God. He is good. He is faithful. He is just. He's kind. He's loving. We must treasure God. How do we do this? Let me give you a few thoughts. Don't blame God. Never blame God. Sometimes I look at my life, my upbringing, and I wonder, okay, God, why'd you give me the family you gave me? There was major, major alcoholism and substance abuse. Maybe that's one of the reasons I have yet to just drink a beer. I just stay away from that stuff. Very toxic in my family. Destroyed parts of my family. My parents, they were just not even really there. Why, Lord? God, why didn't you put me in a good family? I never blamed God. We must know His loving character. Always trust in Him. Number two, here it is. Again, I'm just being redundant here. Know the character of God. Three, know He wants what is best for you. Even though you're struggling, even though you're going through depression, anxiety, maybe you've got some fears, maybe you've got financial stuff, maybe you've got sickness knocking on your door, know He wants what's best for you. And He's sovereign, in control. Treasure Him. Treasure Him in that. Here's one. Know that He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, Hebrews 13. He will never, never, never 
leave you. Isn't that great? Never leave you. Number five, set your mind on things above. Colossians says that. Set your mind on things above. Again, when you do that, you begin to then treasure Christ and the beauty of Christ, which liberates you from this chair to this chair. And it's freeing and liberating. Follow Jesus. Let me just read this little section. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. For this reason, he, may, he had to be made like them. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and a high priest in service to God, and he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2, verse 18. Because he himself suffered, and he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus in your addiction. Turn to Jesus in your suffering. He is our hope. And the last one. Seek forgiveness. Yeah, none of us are perfect yet. That perfect will come. More and more we're becoming more like Christ. But then someday we will be perfect when we see Him face to face. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 Seek forgiveness. So here in closing I say this. Treasure Christ. Don't be a fool and sit in this chair. Don't think that religion can save you. Don't think that your works you can do it. You'll never be good enough. Don't think by following the law and making great laws in your life, that's going to make it. No, the laws just show that you can't. Instead, treasure Christ. Look at the beauty of the Gospel. Understand grace. Look all times at the cross. Treasure Christ. That's where freedom is. Let's pray. Lord, we come before You and God, help us Lord, in our struggles, in our temptations to fall into sin, because it's so easy. There's, there's just people that hate us, people that want to bring us down. We have sinned, and now, now the results of the sin are coming. And we want to be enslaved to that. No, help us find freedom in the Gospel of Jesus. Help us ask for forgiveness. Help us seek Jesus and treasure Him. Help us set our mind on things above. Help us know the character of God. You are so, so good. I thank You that the Gospel saves us from eternal damnation. And that same Gospel saves us from the power of sin that's all around us and even within us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us as we stand and sing our last few songs.